It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Painter Sharpless over there, Justin Ferguson right here. Painter, we're not face-to-face for this podcast due to some uh, due to some uh, injury circumstances on my part and uh, the uh, inclement weather between between you and I, but we are here. We are podcasting. How are you, how are you today, my friend? I'm well. You're feeling grody. Yeah, not great. The 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 dreadful sinuses are coming back up again. So we are uh, we're we're trying to push through here. I wasn't my head wasn't feeling in a spot where it's like I should go get in a car in a driving rainstorm. Um, yeah, it's this is one of the few times we're recording this on Saturday afternoon. This is one of the few times I remember looking at my phone and seeing a one hundred percent chance of rain like ahead of time. Like it's like yeah, it, you, you're gonna you're gonna deal with this all day today. So uh, avoiding that. Uh, but appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there um, who are listening. Um, I hope that uh, if you if you have the ability to, that you have time to uh, spend time with your with your dad today or your grandfather or give him a call. Uh, just you know, just uh, just uh, tell him how much you appreciate them. Um, I know that uh, I'm planning on doing that uh, Sunday afternoon slash evening which is why we wanted to kind of get this this one out a little early on Sunday. Uh, Painter, how about uh, how about uh, the, uh, the the Sharpless Father's Day uh, uh, plans? Any any plans over there? We will be taking it easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have secured the gifts, of yeah. which they are particularly uh, unimpressive, but oh. nonetheless. But I, but I think the thing is is like a Father's Day it's such a laid back holiday you know like mm. Father's Day like dads just want to kind of it's just kind of want to chill out you know and, be left and alone so, <laughs> don't want to go over the top with anything and that includes the gifts um, again one more plug here before before we get past this Auburn Observer subscriptions make a great last second and I mean absolutely last second Father's Day gift. Uh, anywhere uh, that you find on the website, any story, if you're a member of the Inner Circle, there's always a link or two in there to give a subscription. Just fill out the email, pay the money, and uh, yeah, it, it is the easiest easiest way to make sure uh, uh, your uh, your father, your grandfather, the, uh, the the important male in your life uh, who uh, who loves Auburn football and Auburn basketball can be uh, can be up to date with everything we've got going on over here. So again, check that out. At the Observer Painter, let's talk about the future, the far off future. We're going to talk a little bit about the close future uh, later on in the podcast, but I want to talk about the far off future. And uh, it had been a minute since we had one of these, and uh, it's coming back, and it's and it's a big one. Um, but schedule announcements: Auburn announcing uh, on Friday that there will be a uh, that will, there will be a home and home. I'm sorry, Thursday. I uh, should stand corrected there. Uh, there will be a home-and-home home with Miami in 2029 and 2030. Painter Sharpless, your first reactions to the news that Auburn's going to be playing Miami in a little less than a decade from now. want to shout out Pablo Escobarner mm-hmm. on Twitter. I liked his idea, creeds versus convicts. I'm very excited about this. Growing up, Miami was the team in the early yeah. 2000s. I mean, and of course... It goes back farther than that, but I think this is long overdue. I am all in on the Hurricanes and the Tigers. Auburn has not played Miami in either of our lifetimes. The last meeting between the two teams was 1984, 
Bo Jackson's final season at Auburn. Uh, Auburn loses that game early in the year, and it kind of takes some wins that wind out of their sails. As as the you know a lot of people thought of them as a national title contender that season uh, heading in, um, but it has been a minute since uh, since Auburn and Miami have crossed paths. They they've done so plenty of times throughout their history. The last time they played against each other uh, in Jordan Hare, I believe it was a three to nothing game. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen again. I don't think that that is going to happen again. That was described as a full, uh, just a full-on Doug Barfield experience uh, from people that I've heard about from that game. Um, but Auburn and Miami, this is, of course, uh, the home-and-home, the, home, the Power 5 opponent for 2029-2030. Those are the next ones in line. Uh, Auburn plays Penn State, as you know, 2021-2022. And then in 2023 through 2028, um, they have a series lined up with uh, Baylor, Cal, and UCLA. And I'm saying those in alphabetical order because I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head, and I'm not looking at it right now who comes first, second, or third in that. But Miami, no disrespect to no disrespect to the Bears, the Golden Bears, and the Bruins. How interesting is that, Painter? The, the Auburn plays three straight opponents that are all some form of Bear. Um no disrespect to the to the family of bears that we that that are coming up for Auburn on the schedule, but like Miami, it's just it's just different. I mean, it's kind of like this Penn State this Penn State home and home, I should say, coming up. Um, like you said, I mean, this is the this was a team growing up, and when we were kids, Miami was in their kind of heyday. Um, I know for other people who are listening, um, you know, in their runs during the '80s and the '90s when they were when they were dominant, they had just so many waves of just being the you um well in a way they did what alabama's done which is just like it was an nfl factory yeah that oh one and team, so it, that oh one team might be the most single talented team we've ever seen um yeah go ahead no that's all i mean i think you can make that argument yeah it's it's pretty easily also also i mean if you want to i mean there's eight years before you get the first one of these but if you want to uh if you want to you know get yourself hyped up uh, the 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 thirty for thirties, the two parter one on on the U, or the I guess it was like two full ones. Uh, those are two of the best thirty for thirties out there, I think. Um, kind of breaking down how Miami became Miami, and it's kind of the rise and then fall, and then rise back up and then fall again of the Hurricanes. And it's gonna be, I, I think, it's a it's a fun matchup. Uh, who knows what it looks like in 2029-2030. Uh, friend of the newsletter, Josh Dubb, asking in the mailbag over the weekend, for those of you who are subscribers, you read this on Friday, um, what is Auburn's head coach doing right now for that 2029 game? Um, and, uh, you know, if it's Brian Harson still, uh, then then Alan Green had an absolute home run with that hire. If he is still – and, I mean, it's possible. Uh, it's, it's definitely possible. He was at – uh, he was at Boise State for a while. Uh, I think Auburn is looking for consistency. If they if if they're in a spot where Harson is still the guy in 2029, I feel like Auburn had has done had had accomplished uh, a lot in the 20s um, to get to that point. Um, but if it's not Harson, you know the track record kind of looks like yeah, you're probably looking at somebody on the uh, kind of up and coming coach at the moment. Maybe not a head coach quite yet. Um, who knows what Miami looks like at this point? I, I, I want to pose this question to you, Painter. Who do you think is in a better position by 2029? Like, what makes more sense? Auburn is a consistent championship contender again, 
or at all, or Miami is a consistent championship contender again? It should be Miami, I think, for two reasons. One, they're in Florida, and two, they're in the ACC. But at least recent history would suggest that by that time, Auburn might have played for a national title before the Hurricanes. But I think the I think Miami's in a better position, given the things I just mentioned. Yeah. The Miami, road's a little bit easier. The talent mm-hmm. is there in the state. Uh, I'm curious to see how long Florida sustains what they're doing. And I, like, I think there's a ceiling to how good Dan Mullen will take that program. Like, I think they're constantly going to win 10 games with him. But I don't see them regularly beating Georgia. I know they just did it. But uh, Florida State's a little down right now. They mm-hmm. seem to be in a bit of flux. I think Miami's in a great spot if they can figure things out. They're probably not going to consistently beat Clemson, but uh, if any team in that conference is poised to make a run, I would think it would be Miami. Yeah, Miami, like we'll see about North Carolina as well. Uh, I think those are your two best bets right now. Um I think the one thing with Miami that I'm interested in moving forward is is that if we're still – I mean, by 2029, hopefully the concept of divisions is done and we're all going to the pod system. But if we're still doing divisions, um, Miami playing in the Coastal helps them. They are not a team that has to play Clemson every year. They don't have to play – I mean, I guess they play Florida State every year, but they don't have to play Clemson every year. And that's a good – I mean, that Coastal conference is just – it's it's up for grabs. It was the – or sorry, the division – it's the division that had seven different champions in seven years, right? They they did the complete cycle. Um, North Carolina's staying power is going to be very fascinating to watch, but like I wonder if in seven or eight years we're looking back and Miami's gotten their place in the sun again. And they've had a couple of times since they hit hit rock bottom where they've they've gotten in contention again. They've gotten in the mix. They you know they were number two not too long ago um, during a season, and you know Pitt kind of kind of put a uh you know blew a hole in their season towards the end I, I do think I do think though that uh this has the potential to be a really fun game down the line and uh if Auburn and Miami though I think those are two you know we were talking about the concept of tiers with uh with the new college football playoff system and it's like okay if Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State until further notice are going to be the class of college football if Oklahoma is kind of the one right now in the, in the big 12 that you have to uh, worry about you know might be perennially that fourth team it's either them or it's either been them or Notre Dame uh, unless it's some team out of the out of the SEC that that jumps up like a Georgia or like an LSU that second tier of teams I think you could see Auburn and Miami both fitting in there um, and then you know by then you you will be several years into this new playoff format and you know these could be two teams that are consistently competing for a chance you know to be in the playoff and that would be a fun early season matchup it's a good helmet game um it's one of those two it's 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 one thing i like about both these programs is they both wear white helmets uh i love white helmets i think every every team that should that can do white helmets should do white helmets um but yeah it's a good helmet matchup and i think that's going to be a really fun series i just i wonder what this this program looks like both of them um, by the time we get there, but it should be a lot of fun. One of the things I wanted to bring up with that as well is, and this was this stemmed from a conversation I had on on the drive with uh, with our friends Bill Cameron and Dan Peck uh, earlier in the week. Um, you've got Miami. This game lined up with Miami. You know that those home and homes. Penn State is a, is a hike, uh, as we all know. Um, Cal and UCLA are even bigger hikes. Baylor not quite as bad, um, but you know, kind of in the still kind of in the SEC footprint, thanks to A and M. 
Miami, I wonder if this is going to be a signal moving forward of maybe Auburn trying to get some of these games, these big marquee home-and-home uh, -home series with teams that are a little bit closer to home because Miami is going to be a lot easier for Auburn fans to go to than Penn State or especially Cal or UCLA. Um, I wonder if this is going to be a signal moving forward where, you know, maybe Auburn plays Miami, you know. I don't think anybody wants to wants to see them play Clemson. But, like, what if the North Carolina – like, couldn't get to play North Carolina last year? What if that became a home-and-home? -home? Uh, what if you brought back a game with Georgia Tech? I think a lot of people would like that. Um, Louisville, maybe. Like, in, somewhere in that – or you could go to the Big 12 and, like, Auburn's never played Oklahoma State, and I think those are very much two teams with kind of kindred spirits in their own conferences. Um, Oklahoma would be a huge series. Texas would be a monster series. Um so in that SEC-ish kind of footprint, is there a painter? Is there a team or two teams that you like to see? Like you know, Miami probably was one for a lot of other teams. Is there a team you'd like to see? You're just like, okay, if Auburn's doing a home and home moving forward with these teams a little bit closer to the southeast, you know, out in Texas as well, um, is there one that kind of one or two that stand out to you? It's like, man, it'd be really cool if Auburn played this team again and, and put them on the schedule. Hmm, this one's gonna be kind of meh, but I always still enjoy the uh the pageantry of georgia tech okay. plus like auburn can win that one now it's not going to get the fans excited i think the same way you might get a reaction i think the reaction was overwhelmingly positive with miami but I, i've always enjoyed when auburn plays georgia tech uh, tradition i think is big with a lot of fans in that one it used to be i mean it's one of auburn's most played games they haven't played it in a very long time and when they did auburn didn't do so well O two and O three, um, so I think there's 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 a little bit of that. You know, uh, people would want to see that come, kind of come back around. Um, I, uh, I I wanted to ask you this one because I know you have a, a family tie there. What if Auburn played Virginia Tech in a home at home? What would you think about that? Because I've always said, you know, if Clemson is Auburn with a lake, uh, Virginia Tech is Auburn in the mountains. Would love it. Uh, have not gotten to go to Lane Stadium in a football capacity. I've been Man, there. That, that would be a lot, is... especially if Tech could get back going again. I know it might never be quite be the same without Beamer, and Fuentes had a hard time getting it going up there. But man, like can, you know, people talking about the atmosphere. It's going to be in a night game at at Happy Valley this year when Auburn plays Penn State, and that's going to be crazy for sure. Uh, but man, how about Auburn Tech in Lane Stadium at night? The you know, I sort of like it. To uh, what Florida has gone through over the last 10 years, like when the Swamp, uh, you know, when that is a competitive Florida program, it is one of the most difficult places in the country to play, as Auburn found out in 2019. However, it really had not been for 10 years, you know, since I, Urban Meyer departed. I, I think would, Virginia Tech is in that same ballpark. It's just yeah. right now, it's like, well, they're kind of an eight-win team, and it's, uh, you know, they're an afterthought now after really – being one of the staples of that conference where Clemson's just running train on everybody. Uh, Virginia Tech, I mean, yeah, the, the the noise factor there. I'm glad you mentioned the swamp because I think I, I think I told somebody this not too long ago, um, but I think that Florida game in 19 when Auburn went down there, I think I'm willing to call that the loudest road game I've ever been to. Um, that environment, I mean, because Florida was good, and, and, you know, Florida wasn't, you know, of course last year they were even better, um, but it was kind of like, hey, Florida, we're back, is trying to be a contender again. And that place and the architecture for it and the way everything's just right on top of you, it is so freaking loud there. Um, 
and not to take anything. I mean, like I've heard Sanford Stadium in Georgia get get insane, and of course Bryant Denny can get really loud as well. And but it's just I don't know. There was something about that Florida game that was just kind of nuts. Where uh, kind of like how Auburn's got that advantage to it as well. Um, the way it's built and the way the crowd gets that, even though it's not size wise, it's not Bryant Denny or Neyland or you know Tiger Stadium or anything like that. It's just it's so so loud. So yeah, I mean I would love to see Tech kind of get back in that in that ballpark again and i know it's not in the footprint so i'm throwing this out of the window but i do wonder if auburn will ever get to try to schedule notre dame um they've never played it's the big one that i know a lot of fans i mean i wrote about it a few weeks ago it's the one that fans always clamor for and look i you know i'm not saying that this is this affects anything and this is not how deals get done but look your your athletic director went there so i mean <laughs> here's a connection and uh, notre dame it's always been striking to me that auburn's never played notre dame because notre dame is the one team where it's like yeah we'll take on since they're independent they take on as many non-conference well they're all non-conference games but as many like power programs as they can a lot of times you know they have a list of rivalries they want to keep they want to play usc they want to play um you know they want to play Michigan and Boston College State. You know I can't remember how how all that rotates. Navy they used to play Navy every year, but like they Auburn also, would be a good matchup for Notre Dame because they would get the points. They would get the you know they would get the style points for playing a probably yep. what most years would be a top fifteen, top twenty team. But it is a team that Notre Dame could beat. You know it's like mm-hmm. they'll still get credit for playing what will be a competent program. But it's also one where sometimes you look at the schedule and I think most of the games generally that Notre Dame plays right now are very winnable given that like usc is down etc cetera, etc cetera. but i think auburn would be a perfectly good matchup for the two reasons you've listed one alan green's a connection and two i think auburn fans would really like to see that notre dame oh, yeah i don't i don't know if notre dame fans have you know of auburn's on their radar but uh i also would like auburn to play arizona state just a nice friendly hmm. yes I would, that's, I would, that's more I would of a personal thing yeah yeah, yeah. I wouldn't mind going out. Speaking of which, man, Arizona State's in a world of hurt right now. Did you have you seen that stuff this week? I think it's funny. Uh, I would like for Herm Edwards to just say, "Don't care." It's funny um, because it's you like, play to win the game. You know, just like I'm whatever <laughs> I've got to do, whatever <laughs> I've got to do. The the funny thing to me was it was like it was like her it was like Herm Edwards the whole thing when he got hired. He's like he's not going to know how to do any of this, and then it turns out it's like he fits oh. right into college <laughs> culture. <laughs> this works perfectly. Um, don't on, care good for them think it's funny press on going off of this this is something i wrote about in that in that scheduling thing a few weeks ago and i think it's worth bringing up again in light of the college football playoff expanding you know it, there were there's a stretch here coming up where teams have anticipated bulking up their schedules Alabama and Georgia especially. I'm going to look it up here right now, so you're going to hear some clicks in the background probably, dear listener. But um, they're they're lining up to a point where – they're lining up to a point, both Alabama and Georgia, where they're going to be in a situation where – they're going to be in a situation where they play two or three, in the case of Georgia – uh power five teams a year you have to just play one right and the teams like florida and georgia and south carolina and kentucky because they have acc rivals that they play every year they always add another one and now georgia is going to add a third one some years but if you look at the alabama's future alabama schedules starting in 2025 which is you know a few years into this thing um maybe when the playoff goes in but in 2025 they have a they have um florida state and wisconsin 
This is when they start kind of overlapping. Some of their home and home starts overlapping. So they play Florida State uh, one week, and then they play Wisconsin two weeks later. Next season, they play West Virginia and Florida State. Then it's West Virginia, Ohio State. Then it's Ohio State, Oklahoma State. Then it's Notre Dame, Oklahoma State. Then it's Georgia Tech, Notre Dame. Uh, then it's Georgia Tech, Boston College. Then it's Arizona, Oklahoma. And then it's Virginia Tech, Boston College later. And so, I mean, they've got between 2025 and 2034, they have an entire decade where they're going to be playing two Power Five teams every single year. Now, outside of Ohio State and Notre Dame and maybe Oklahoma, um, none of those teams are necessarily like, okay, these are these are powerhouses. These are just, just juggernauts. And, of course, Florida State could get to that point in Wisconsin. But you're going to get some credit yeah. for scheduling that way. Georgia, on the other hand, they, they picked things up in 2025. No, 2026. 2026, they pick it up and they 2026. play. They play UCLA. Louisville and Georgia Tech. So I'm going to say all these. They play UCLA and Louisville. They play Georgia Tech every year, so keep that in mind. Uh, UCLA, Louisville, then Florida State, Louisville, then Texas, Florida State, then Texas, Clemson, then Clemson, Ohio State, then Ohio State, Oklahoma, then Clemson, and then it kind of kind of fades out from there. Um, so it's about six, seven years where they have games where they play three Power 5 teams in a season because they always play Tech. Shout out all the way. Also, Ohio State and Oklahoma just – Taking on these big games, Texas as well. Taking on these big games, um, I, I wonder if Auburn's going to do this. That is my my real question right now for what you know conferences moving forward. Now Auburn's got the next decade sorted out for one big game, but if you look at their conference schedule starting in twenty twenty three, and I don't think it's going to happen this quickly, but starting in twenty twenty three, they have free spots left. Um, in 2023, they play Cal. But they also play UMass and New Mexico State at home. Um, there's a fourth game they're going to have to fill. Now, maybe the SEC adjusts and says, all right, we're going to a nine-game conference schedule, and that's why you're leaving those spots open. But I do wonder, maybe it's in 2026 when things pick back up again, does Auburn, knowing how tough their schedule is, knowing that they play Alabama, Georgia, LSU, A&M every single year, um, and – they're the only team in college football that plays those three, four teams every single year. Do they bulk up their schedules even more? Or do they hang with just, hey, we'll do the requirement and know that our that our conference schedule is going to be enough most seasons that if we have a really good year, we don't have to go undefeated. We'll still have a chance to make a playoff. What 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 do we think is going to be the future of that? Do we think Auburn bulks up and tries to keep up with its rivals in that way? Or do they stick to just playing that one required game as it stands right now and says, we already get a brutal test because we have to play Alabama and Georgia and not, every, not all these other teams have to? From an entertainment standpoint, I'd like them to bulk up. But yes. if I'm trying to be strategic, if I'm the football team, I'm probably not touching that. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think there's room to do it. I, I don't know if you want to like. Okay, they play Cal, they play Baylor, they play UCLA. None of those teams are Ohio State or Oklahoma or Notre Dame, right? If they wanted to pick up a like, it, it, say they just played started playing Tech in this as well, the, one of the Georgia Tech. If they pick up a like a like a Power Five team that's not necessarily a powerhouse, if they pick one of those up, 
in some of these years is that the is that the compromise is that the compromise does because i mean if it's georgia tech or virginia tech or oklahoma state or uh uh, tcu texas tech teams like that if it's any of those types of teams maybe even north carolina if it's any of those types of teams there those games are going to be infinitely more interesting than New Mexico, New Mexico State, ULM, Ball State, South Alabama. I think they should do it. I think that they they should absolutely do it. And and like I was saying with um, Notre Dame getting sort of credit for playing Auburn, this would be, I think, think a similar comparison if you were to play someone like Texas Tech or Georgia Tech. It is a name-brand school, but unless they happen to do what, like, Clemson did – where it's like Auburn scheduled Clemson how many years in advance, and then they ended up having to play this team that suddenly became a perennial power. But, like, that's not very likely to happen again, you know? Yeah. Uh, Don't like, think are you that's following happening me there? Like, yeah. Right, right. So, sure, they scheduled Clemson probably five or ten years out, and then Clemson turns out to be one of the better three programs of the last decade. But what's more likely to happen is that maybe you get Texas Tech or Georgia Tech or Virginia Tech just play nothing but techs. Yeah, I don't know why I all these on, examples I'm using are techs. But, you know, like they might be a little better. The they might be better that year that you happen to have them on the schedule. But right. I don't think you're going to be playing a top five or even a top ten team. Well, yeah, History the, might indicate that maybe Virginia Tech would do that. Well, I mean, like, take for example, when they, they – several years in advance, they scheduled North Carolina, right? And in that in that game that was supposed to be happening in Atlanta last year. North Carolina I had forgotten about that. Right, yeah, exactly. When North Carolina when they scheduled that game, North Carolina like Mac wasn't the coach at that point. They were very forgettable. Yes. Just and, an afterthought in their conference. And they imploded. They absolutely imploded um under Fedora and then made a quick turnaround, like a quick rebuild. They quickly under Mac has has gotten back to being their the second best team in the ACC right now. And so when Auburn scheduled that game with with North Carolina, nobody thought North Carolina would be who they are right now. And if they would have played North Carolina last year, they would have played a top-10 team. Um, So, I mean, I think there's always going to be that inherent risk. And who knows, man? Like, maybe UCLA figures it out. Maybe Baylor figures it out. I mean, they have – Baylor especially, they have a brilliant head coach. It's just a wonder if can they get back to what what they were under under Bryles. And I don't know, but, you know – there's always going to be an element of risk of that. Like maybe Cal, you know, last year was supposed to be Cal's year and they had a weird one. And, and I, I have questions if they'll be able to get back up again, but like, there's always going to be an inherent amount of risk in that. So, um, yeah, I, I would I, like them to do it, make the move, play a team. That's probably not going to be even a top 10 team, but it's yeah. better than, it's better than like you said, playing, I don't know, Buffalo or whatever. Yeah. Ball yeah. State, New Mexico state. Um, we did this. We did this uh, for the inner circle pod last week, the premium one on Thursday, um, and uh, got got a few answers. And I was like, "Hey, just tweet at us." People tweeted their stories of uh, horrible conditioning experiences uh, playing uh, sports growing up, as as uh, inspired by the uh, the sand pit suicides uh, posted by Auburn last week. Uh, well, what do you, what the heck? We'll do it again. Um, if you've got an opinion one way or another on, do you think Auburn should start scheduling multiple? power five teams in a season or not you know to protect their to protect their playoff standing tweet at us let us know i i'm I'm very curious to hear what the what the fan base 
thinks on that and you know i might throw this out as like an actual poll on monday or something like that on twitter but um yeah let let us know i mean i think that's i think it's a i think i think it's a very interesting discussion because you could go either way and money drives a lot of everything in college football like we can talk about how much better the playoff system is that it's going to be expanded and it's going to get more teams and it's going to have a chance to, you know, not make everything so stale again. But ultimately, what is this about? They're going to get more money. The TV ratings are going to go up and that's all that matters. T if you're worried about TV ratings and money from an institutional perspective, you know, you have to pay to get those paycheck. I mean, they're literally called paycheck games for a reason. You have to pay to play New Mexico and Louisiana Monroe in a season you would not have to to do games like these that we're talking about. And then the third interesting option, I just want to throw this one out here, just just lob it in here, is an idea that I think it was Stephen Godfrey had a while back, um, might have been on when, when PAPM was still a thing. He was talking about at one point in time, Auburn should try to do some two-for-ones with like Tulane or Houston or... I don't think they'll do UCF. Um, I, I don't think. Hmm. I think that. Sh- I think. Sh- I think that's going to sh- avoid that one for they, multiple reasons. They one- had their loss, and now they certainly don't want to give. Because if there's one thing oh we understand God. about Gus Malzahn, yeah. he certainly seemed to hold that grudge against Arkansas. Oh boy! Did and he Lord ever- knows he would prepare for that Auburn game, unlike any bowl game he'd ever prepared for, which is to say, not a lot. And he certainly would be preparing for that Auburn matchup. I uh, think. That is one Auburn would not want any piece of. I, I think we've talked about it when we did Radio Painter, because I, I knew you would be in favor of this. A two-for-one with Tulane. If Auburn yes. has to play two home games against Tulane in, in exchange for they get to go to New Orleans once and play there, I think fans would be okay with that, right? Absolutely. Sorry. One of the few Sorry southeastern towns with some, <laughs> some real culture to it. Uh, town, city. It, and it's like the AAC's got a few of those places where I think that would be interesting if they wanted to do that that way. If they wanted to bulk up their schedule that way, like play Houston, go go for a two for one for Houston. It's you know, a trip to Houston is a whole lot better than you know just another paycheck game at home um, that you're just getting a one off there. Uh, South Florida, I don't like Tampa that much, but like people will go to Tampa. Um, Memphis, get weird, man. South like, Florida. The last time Auburn played South Florida, did they lose? That was, was, that a, was that a two was that a two for one or a or a, a two uh, let's see. I'm gonna look that up. Please hold. Wasn't there like an OAR concert that weekend so a bunch of college students didn't go and then all like I don't know, South Florida ended up being like a top I think they got like all the way up to number two that season. Yep. Okay, here we go. Yeah, so in t- they've only played once, two thousand and seven. Auburn beat uh, Auburn beat South Florida beat Auburn twenty six twenty three. In 07, that was the year where everybody in the Big East was number two in the country at one point. Rutgers, Louisville, South Florida. The craziest oh, look year at that. in Brandon Cox history. had multiple interceptions. Can't believe it. Um, but, yes, 2007. So, eh, you know what? You want revenge on a, the 07 game? Let's go for it. Go for it, uh, Auburn. I, that would just be a whole lot more interesting than I think than, you know. Uh, I don't think anybody would get fired up to go to Tulsa or um, – Oh, maybe SMU. I don't know. Like Dallas, maybe. Uh, it's just like there's some of those really good AAC teams. Not Cincinnati would be interesting. There are some good AAC teams not named UCF that I feel like a two for one would make a lot of sense for there. So you can talk to us about that as well. 
All right, we are going to uh, switch gears here uh, and talk a little bit more football uh, here shortly. But before we do that, Painter, let the folks at home know how they can keep supporting what we've got going on here. If you're not already, subscribe, baby. Come on, help us out. Throw us some of your green back. We'd love that. Also, rate, review, subscribe on your, or follow, I guess, you know, whatever your app says. Mm -hmm. That way it automatically downloads the podcast so it's right there in your library. Rate, review, subscribe, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Five stars on Apple means a lot for us. A written review means a lot to us as well. Um, so if you if you find it find some time to do both of those things, we would very, very much appreciate that. And if your podcast app of choice has a way to review uh, the feed, has a way to throw out the throw up a, a score of some kind really really helps us uh, we do apple a lot because that's like the gold standard for a lot of podcasts for people but some of you listen to it in different ways and i don't know all of the ways to do that i listen to podcasts ma- mainly on spotify uh, because i am a brand loyalist or apple uh, if it's a premium one um, but any if you have a way to review and you have a way to, to subscribe uh, help us out and of course uh, subscribe to the uh, subscribe to the observer as well. Uh, also, want to shout out uh, our friends over at the War Report. Um, we're going to start doing this a little bit more f- for more regular. You'll be hearing about them more uh, if you're a subscriber over there to what those guys are doing on their YouTube channel. Uh, one of their paid subscribers, they are doing a series each week uh, where they break down a stat from the Observer, um, one a stat that we have uh, pulled up in the past, and it's a discussion. Uh, with Mike and Caesar and those guys over there, check it out. Uh, it's a really good, um, it's a really good Aub- uh, Auburn YouTube channel. A lot of great discussion on Auburn football. Uh, so check those guys out. Uh, that is the War Report. Uh, rapport, sorry, R A P P O R T. Uh, check those guys out and uh, check out the uh, For the Record series that uh, they're doing with some Observer stats, which has been pretty cool to see that kind of get started up. All right, let's switch over to the other news of the week. For Auburn football, this came down on Friday. Hal Presley, uh, one of Auburn's 2021 signees, uh, is in the portal. He will not be a yep, Tiger. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, um, a tough, a tough, uh, tough bit of news here because I think some people were really, really excited about Hal Presley, and for good reason. Put up some really good numbers out in the state of Texas. Uh, he's six three. He's got some real jets. Um, he, uh, yeah, he was a, <laughs> he averaged, th- he, oh, and he was a punter as well. That was interesting. Um, he's got some jets. He was a really good size. He was a four star from 24 seven sports. The composite has him as a three star painter. We were talking before we came on still top 400 player in the country. Seemed to be a dude physically that had a lot of gifts to him and a lot of upside. Uh, but he is, uh, he will not be a tiger. He, uh, enrolled, um, he got here and enrolled and just has only been around for a little while and is already on his way back out. And I know there are a lot of people that were kind of taken aback by this, kind of surprised by it, but there's a couple things to keep in mind here with, with Hal Presley. Number one, Hal Presley was not recruited by this staff. Uh, he signed in December. Um, he was one of the in-between signees, um, like a guy like Kamal Haddon was. Um he was recruited by Chad Morris and he's recruited by Cody Burns and those guys are not here anymore. Um, 
and it's just the the staff is is completely different. He's coming in from Texas, comes in, and I think the other thing to keep in mind there is is that, um, you know, he he's when you come in and this is not the staff you signed with because of course you know he was he signed with his staff he signed with the staff not knowing who the next head coach was going to be and guys were i mean guys i don't blame them like if you have a spot at a place like auburn you take it but now with the portal opening the way it is and the one-year waiver and you can keep your eligibility immediately and bounce somewhere else i don't blame him i don't blame him maybe it's a case of uh you know getting here kind of feeling things out knowing you know what this is not for me this is not a fit for me i have an opportunity to go ahead and bounce let me take it other people have done it this this off season you know this is a easier time to do that now before anything gets really going instead of doing it in the fall uh, and number two i mean he, he you know i don't i don't want to speculate wildly about his about his uh motivations here but kids from texas kids from kids from the dallas area uh, that's a long way from auburn and uh you know he had a lot of – he was committed to Baylor uh, right before he uh, switched over to Auburn. Um, he had offers from a lot of schools in Texas. I think there will be plenty of interest in other schools from Texas if he opens it back up. And maybe he just wants to get closer back to home. I mean, I think there's a number of reasons why this could be happening. And none of them have to be negative, I think. I think that's the key thing there. None of them have to be a negative on either Auburn or Hal Presley himself. Bless him and all of his endeavors. Yeah, and, and I mean he's like he's like Domeo, he's like Kamal had like physically there was a lot there to like. Um tall, fast, uh good film, um had a pretty good I mean his highlight film I remember it was one of the more impressive ones I saw from this class that Auburn signed in 2021. He's probably going to be really good wherever he ends up and it's just not going to be Auburn. And um I think if you're giving these these kids opportunities right now to say, "Hey, if this doesn't work, you can go ahead and make the move before you get invested and get fully plugged into this new scheme and this new school and this new coaching staff. Go ahead and take it. This is why it's there, right? And, uh, you know, if if it was a situation of wanting to get back closer to home, wanting to be closer to family, I get that, well, you know, especially the year that we all just went through, uh, the year plus we all just went through. So, um, yeah, I mean – I don't think there. I personally don't think there's anything wrong with coming in, checking out, saying, you know what, this isn't for me. And before I get deeper into it, let me go ahead and let me go ahead and find somewhere else to be. Would love for him to have stuck around. Yeah, because I mean, that wide receiver position is is one where there's. I mean, he could have come in, had a really good fall camp, and contributed this year. That 100 percent could have happened. Man, there's a world in which I think you probably are not one of the top two receivers but given the general openness of that room probably could have been like the third best receiver on yeah, the team is that a total stretch no if everything broke your way uh, i mean last season you know even with all the experience coming back to auburn you know a guy like Xavier capers is one of the top it was what the fourth best receiver on the team last season so like it's 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 possible especially with it's just so wide open um but I think this is just a case of hey, got to make the best decision for you as a as a player and as a person, and uh, it's not going to be at Auburn. And Auburn will have an opportunity to fill it back in. I, I do think though this is kind of underscores more of the need to get a wide receiver in the portal, and those opportunities will be there. Uh, we are recording this on the nineteenth. There's only you know, less than two weeks before guys have to be in the portal that are going to be leaving and want to play immediately. Um, 
So there could be guys coming into coming into the picture here over the next couple of weeks. Could be another late signing JUCO guy like a Row Torrance. By the way, shout out to Row Torrance, one national player of the year for junior college ball, not just not just the Jayhawk conference. I think that shows you just how unreal he was uh, uh, for for Hutchinson this past season. Maybe there's a guy like that, but I think this you know depth wise, and when you don't have a ton of experience and you, your depth takes another hit. Uh, I think this really underscores the need that they they could use a guy, get a guy if they have a spot, and I think they do, um, that, they, that they need to kind of push for one more and get somebody who can um, really help them out because I think Presley was going to be a guy who at least was going to be in the mix. Yes, yes, best of luck to Hal. So I, I, wanted, uh, I have to say, oh, I, I don't particularly know what else to say just that uh you know i yeah gotta gotta give things a try he did that and we're moving on and uh you know everybody seems to think he had upside i'm using everyone loosely here but i saw a Mm -hmm. few people say that so since i saw a few people say it it's everyone now yes it's unanimous um yeah i mean again like i said i don't think i don't think him not him not playing at auburn there can be a reason. There can be reasoning, and there can be a separation here that does not speak negatively on Brian Harson and his staff, or Hal Presley, uh, and, and and you know the people in his life. Like I, I think this could just be a, you know what, this is what I signed, wanted to play at Auburn. This is not what I signed up for. This is a different situation. I want to get back closer to home. Whatever. Um, it would be funny if know. he went to Southern Cal. <laughs> just like, yeah, I actually that think was I pick. like the well and you know the going back to home thing makes perfectly fine sense to me but if you yeah. also you know went to the southern part of California I'd be like well you could be like the that could, makes sense or it could be like the it'll be a weird version of the Justin Powell situation where people are like yeah he's probably going to go back to Kentucky and it's like well okay he got halfway back uh like like, so I guess yeah, it would sort of buck the like, old, like pops up in Arkansas or like Southern Miss or something like that and be like, okay, well, he got he got close. I think we're sort of assuming he wants to be a little closer to home and like Southern Cal wouldn't be that, but it would be warm. It would be. And if you look at um if you look at his offer list coming out of high school, that's quite if he wants if he wants to stay in state, if he wants to go back closer to Dallas there's a number of places that could line up for him easily. Uh, he, of course, Baylor was one of his, he was committed to Baylor at one point. Arkansas would definitely be closer to home. Uh, he had offers from Houston. He had offers from North Texas. He had an offer from TCU, Texas and Texas state, by the way, painter, um, speaking of Texas state, completely off topic, but I started playing NCAA 14 again because the mods have gotten a lot better. And, uh, just had a really good first season as the offensive coordinator at Texas State. I'm saving Jake Spavital's job, so you're welcome, Jake. Um, really, really climbing fun. the ladder. That's yep. for just moving on up in the corporate world. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's me. We we had the uh, best passing offense in America last season. And won the Sun Belt, so we're uh, we're we're already looking at what our next job will be. You love the Sun Belt. Oh, absolutely, big Sun Belt guy over here. Love him, Troy South. Uh, Georgia Southern, another favorite of mine. Who can't? Who doesn't love Coastal Carolina, Appalachian State? I mean, it's a good conference. 
We talked about Louisiana Monroe. If you're beefing with Coastal Carolina, tweet it for tell them that you don't love Coastal. You should love Coastal. Everyone should love Coastal. I don't really think there's any reason to dislike them. <laughs> Coastal seems very I'm much your of. vibe. I Coastal. think I could dig it. Certainly for Auburn fans, I can't imagine why you'd be annoyed with them. They haven't beaten you, and uh, <laughs> they're fun to watch. So there's that. Your coach didn't. Their coach didn't publicly turn you down one way or another. You know, don't, yeah. don't have that beef come. Uh-huh. Yeah, so um, I w- we wanted to segue this flawlessly into a discussion on the wide receivers because Patrick, you wanted to you wanted to talk about them, especially in, in light of the Hal Presley um, departure. We t- we we ran through the linebackers last week on the show, so we wanted to take up another position group, and it felt like a perfect time to talk about wide receivers. Yes, what is going on in that room more than ever? I wish that Seth Williams was coming back. Yep. He's not, so good luck, Seth. Um, we will see what happens. I you hope know, he, that's I hope the analysis it. I have. We will see because I don't know what. You know, I'm excited about Cape, Capers and, and Canyon, and I, I just – Shedrick Jackson seems to fill a role for this team, but I don't expect that much out of him. Mm-hmm. You know, not as a pass catcher anyway. Uh, Johnson obviously had the probably the best spring in terms of pop of any offensive player, given that he was a relatively unknown commodity going into it. So there's all this reason to think there's some upside. But at the end of the day, I think even a good season for the wide receiver core probably puts them somewhere in the middle of the pack in the conference. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair assumption. There's talent there. Um They've got collectively now. They've got probably from an average star rating, average twenty four seven composite rating. Like they've got as much talent as they've had in a while. There, um, you know, losing Seth and, and and Schwartz, those were two big name prospects for them. Of course, coming out of high school, and so they got a little bit of a dip. But I think it's still a pretty strong group um, in terms of talent. It's just like there's not a there's not a ton of experience there. Uh, you have a guy. And look, it's in... it's a little. It... Good. It's a little bit overplayed at this point. Like I know we can all point to this, but I still think it's true. Like it's going to be nice to see them running a variety of routes. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, which... I don't know if that's gonna. I don't know if that's gonna make a difference in the win loss column, but at least it'll be something different. And it's like, well, I can understand why they did that. Speaking of which, I came across a uh, I came across a coaching clinic this past weekend. I mean, it's I'm under the mm. weather right now and uh, just kind of sticking around my my apartment working this weekend. And I came across a coaching clinic that uh, or a part of a clinic that, uh, that Brian Harson did a few years back. And one of the things he talks about in there is about third downs. And so on Monday, I'm going to write a story about what I learned in that and some of the stats I dug up from it but one of the things that struck me looking through it is one of the things about harson is at boise state last year weird year they could they took a they took a dip in it but for several years running they were one of the best third down teams in football one of the best third down offenses in football and auburn has been inconsistent at best uh the last few years at that one of the things is is that he really preaches this attention to detail and this focus and all that and for his quarterbacks is like hey we're going to have plays on third down. We're going to have concepts that, that we run where you are going to be able to, on third down, most important down on the field, you're going to be able to make quick, full field reads. You'll be able to kind of go through your progressions. Uh, it's going to be in a natural sense. And if you know what you're doing, you know what to expect, 
we're going to move the chains. I mean, there's a couple of concepts he talks about in there where he's like, we run this and we execute it well, it's unstoppable. Um, and so it's just some of these concepts and some of these these patterns is just a different way of going about things on third down, I think. Might be interesting to see, and the wide receivers are going to have to keep part of that because you're going to have to execute. Bo Nix needs to know where to go with the ball, and whoever Auburn's quarterback's behind him, whether it's Demetrius Davis or T.J. Finley, and however much they get to play or not play this year, they're going to have to know where to go with the ball. But you know these guys are going to have to be able to get open and really kind of develop. And it's just one of the big t- talking points of the spring from this coaching staff was that we've got a lot of work to do with these wide receivers just because there's just not that much experience. But there's talent. I think anybody who can look at that room sees talent. I mean, you watch some of the plays Xavion Capers made last season, and it's like, wow, he's got it. He's got some of those skills. He's got some of those traits about him in receiver. It's like if you're looking for the next Seth Williams type of player, he's that kind of guy. Starting his career kind of being more of a bigger slot, making plays down the middle of the field. Maybe he can be one of those dudes who starts winning a lot of one-on-one balls, winning on the outside down the road, right? Javarius Johnson, we've talked about the slot yes. receivers. Yes, the short king, your guy, Painter. Um, your, your guy that you hitched your wagon to pre-spring and you were the one who called it. He was going to blow up in spring practices. And yes, sir, he did. Um, but Javarius Johnson, one of the things that's – it would just be one thing if it was just like, all right, Javarius Johnson had a great spring. Awesome for him. But one of the things about Mike Bobo and Brian Harson specifically is they love slot receivers, and they use slot receivers a lot more than we saw under Gus Malzahn, like actual true slot type of receivers. Not big dudes, although you can do that. Not split out tight ends, although they will do that a good bit as well. But guys that are guys that are built to take nickels and safeties and linebackers and make their lives miserable because they can just get open and, and, and make big plays. And Javarius Johnson – checks that box. I think this offense is going to be a really good fit for him. I look at Kobe Hudson, and and to me, Kobe Hudson is the biggest, not a mystery, not an enigma necessarily either, but just the biggest, like, I, this. if it clicks for him, it makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of Auburn fans are wanting to see this dude pop because he was a very, very highly rated dude coming out of high school. And out of his class, he's, you know, he's <laughs> – one of the few that's still hanging around here on the offensive end. I think the upside of Kobe Hudson's alluring. Like, I, I don't know what to think of the dude, though, because I can't say that I've – I haven't gotten to watch him play, really. I don't know what to make of that guy. But, like, the athleticism is there. Like, he seems to be the mold of what Gus Malzahn's previous staff did a lot, which was recruit what – he played quarterback some and was an yes. athlete. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, I – think there's all the reason in the world to think he could be probably will be one of Auburn's two best receivers this year yeah and Kobe I, I that's accidentally pure make, projection though I accidentally made Kobe a little older than I thought than, than he was I had him a couple years older what I was doing I'll tell you what happened if you want to get inside my brain a little bit Kobe Hudson I think his role being a Georgia kid but also his role as this dude who played some high school quarterback and, and run, run ran the ball well and is, does a variety of things I had him in my mind kind of like I had Matthew Hill. I kind of I kind of mixed those two up. Um, and so I had <laughs> I had Kobe Hudson a little older, kind of closer to Matthew Hill in age. But, yeah, very similar. Um, guys that have made that transition. I think one of the things with Kobe Hudson that strikes me as very interesting moving forward is Brian Harson loves his offenses, and Boba does it as well. Uh, Harson's MO specifically on offense, a lot of shifts, a lot of motion, a lot of moving dudes around. 
and Hudson's one of those guys you want to use in leverage opportunities because you can do a variety of things with him. Uh, think back to all the sweeps Auburn would run with Eli Stowe, but also Ricardo Lewis back in the day. Kobe Hudson is a natural kind of fit to that type of role. And we have seen in the past at Boise State and at some of the places Mike Bobo has been in the past, they like to get their wide receivers involved in the running game um, and, and hit the outside. And Hudson makes a lot of sense there as well. And so he's that big wild card for me in my mind because it's like if he's got the talent, I mean, he was um, – that year he was the second highest rated offensive player Auburn signed in the 2020 class. Number one was Tank. And so you know, you know, there's a lot of talent there. He's He was number 111 in the country, number 19 at wide receiver, and that's not technically the position he played all the time in, in high school as well. So, I mean, there's some adjustments being made there, but we have seen in the past these former high school quarterbacks popping – at wide receiver, maybe Hudson's that type of guy. So we've mentioned Javarius Johnson. We've mentioned uh, Xavion Capers. We've mentioned Kobe Hudson. Then there's Elijah Canyon who, I mean, just, I don't know, the last time we saw Auburn play a competitive football game, he was the best player on the field for the Tigers on offense and gave him, a, gave him some life when they didn't have much of it against Northwestern. And I think everyone is immediately looking at him and saying, okay, dude, what's next? And – he had some he had some moments in the in the in the spring in the eight day game. Yeah, I uh, I think the dude can play, but at the same time, it's like I don't know anything about this wide receiver room that feels concrete to me. Mm-hmm. It's not been a position that's been consistent the last couple of years. Uh, like a lot of it hinges on that offensive line and what Knicks does. I think there's plenty of reason to be really excited about what Canyon and Capers will bring you this year. But I don't – I'm at a loss about the position completely because I don't want to bank too much on them being all that great of a position group. Again, I think their upside is somewhere in the middle of the conference. I think outside of – I think outside of Javarius Johnson, I don't know if you're necessarily wanting to put your name behind anybody yet as your, as your guy. But like Canyon – with Canyon, like J.J. Evans – uh, like some of these other guys in this in this offense, they've got that blend of size and speed, and that's where Hal Presley fit in as well, where it's like for a while Auburn had either big receivers or burners at receiver. And then they've got some dudes now that kind of fit both. Like they are kind of the prototype type of skill set physically what you want with, you know, at the wide receiver position. It's like can it all kind of click? Can it all kind of come together? And, Caper showed last season when he got a chance and got open, he can make some big plays, right? And I think definitely Xavier Capers has that has that potential to him as well. I think you know Kobe Hudson and Javarius Johnson for smaller guys have some of that upside. JJ Evans has dealt with injuries, including in the spring during during his last few years, but he was one of the most productive wide receivers in the state of Alabama when he was a high school junior. Like there's. You know, get healthy, there's a lot to like, kind of like with Javarius Johnson as well. Um, Shedrick Jackson, you talked about him earlier, Painter. He's just he's a guy who's played a role, and I think he plays that role really well, but is he a guy who's going to be able to get open more frequently and get the ball more frequently I think is going to be a big question because he is the elder statesman of the group. There's not very much experience in this room at all. There's very little production, and most of it is stemming from a guy like Shedrick Jackson. Kayla Newton – Still around, not a natural wide receiver, but an older guy can be a leader for this group. And then now, 
you know, the one guy we haven't mentioned yet is Tavares Dawson, who's coming in and another very versatile athlete that's going to f- try to find a home on the offensive side of the ball. So, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of physical talent and there's a lot of upside. Like, I think you could talk about in 2022 or 2023, Auburn's wide receivers being one of the strengths of their team, especially if they keep recruiting at this level at wide receiver, um, which, I mean, they've, they've had some bigger name guys early in this 2022 cycle um you know make some visits that are you know blue chip wide receivers that a lot of really good schools are are after right now um but i I think painter this underscores kind of like what you've been saying when you line up all these dudes and say okay i see potential i see upside you just don't see a lot of production and there's little experience there it's like that really underscores like man if they could just get somebody in the portal that has done this before at the college level you feel a lot different about this group please somebody come to Auburn yeah I mean I don't know what to do about that we've said it a million times you can't just they've got to be willing to come and they've got to be in the portal so don't know what to say about that other than that it would be nice it 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 definitely would be nice if, if you were if you were Auburn um I mean, there's been rumors that Auburn have been waiting on certain guys. I think a lot of people were get the tampering, when... Brian Harson. Get the tampering. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you see? Uh, did you see uh, Scott Frost like just kind of pull the curtain back on all the tampering stuff? Yeah, and you know, like not at all surprised that he's sort. Of, I mean, it looks like he was sort of accusing Alabama of that. Did I get that right, or was he just lumping his program in? He was with lumping. Alabama? He was lumping. It's like, in, sir, maybe in 1990. In, yeah, he was like, you know, everybody thinks they're going to go to a place like Nebraska or Alabama and start, and it's like, hold on, hold on, like, like who? <laughs> like, they they can like go Nebraska to Nebraska and probably will start. They cannot go to Alabama <laughs> and just start. Maybe that linebacker uh, will end up doing that for Alabama. What's his name? Toto? Tutu? Uh, Henry Toto. Toto from Tennessee, the Tennessee kid? From Tennessee, yeah, he's a baller. I'm looking through the portal right now at uh, at the at the wide receivers. This is from two four seven. It's got a really good one of these, and it's just like there's not a ton of dudes that kind of pop out, and you're like, oh wow, yes, definitely, definitely him. Uh, you know, go after him. You know, I think a lot of people when Kalen Geiger went into the portal, um, the the top the top tier uh, wide receiver talent from from Troy, one of their best guys. Um, you know, people were like, ah, you know, this makes sense. Um, you know, Auburn's got Troy's wide receivers coach. And not to get too far into the weeds here, and I think I might have mentioned this before on the podcast, but, like, Geiger was an inside receiver. Uh, uh, Cornelius Williams coached outside receiver, so it's not quite like for like. But, yes, there was familiarity there. There was a connection there. Geiger wanted to get back closer to home, and lo and behold, hey, he's going to go play at Texas Tech now, which they use slot receivers really, really well. But, I mean, there's not a lot of – just like okay you cannot you know you cannot uh miss this you know this is a guy that has a lot of production or um you know was a really big recruit coming out of high school you know there's just not a ton of that happening right now and there's not a whole lot of those guys in this portal although i just remembered and just saw uh demetrius robertson's back in the portal um, and it feels like we have been talking about this dude for nine million years. I remember at, when uh, he at, went to Georgia, I thought that was a massive pickup, but it turns out, like many other things, I got that one wrong. Well, and it was like he went to Cal instead of Georgia, and it's like, wow, good job, Cal, man, that's a that's a wild pull. 
He was the number one receiver at, back in 2016. Then he goes to Georgia, and he doesn't really do much in Georgia. Um, and now he's back in the portal. I, I don't think Auburn's necessarily going to be overly interested in him. I, I don't know where he'll end up. It's It's been such a weird kind of thing with him. But it's like, yeah, so you can't invent dudes. And I know there's been rumors about – you know, certain guys may be coming into the portal down the road, and, and who knows that might that might still happen. Like you said, Painter tampering is is definitely going to be a thing. Um, but Do it. you know, yeah, you can't necessarily invent somebody. I just you feel a whole lot different. I think about this wide receiver room if they get a guy that's got some experience and how do you, somebody uh, that how, they can rely on. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl? Okay. Have you heard of this? Yeah, I did, and I can't remember which bowl is that. Re- which bowl did that go from? The L.A. Bowl. The L.A. Bowl has found a big name to be its first title sponsor. Okay, ABC so this is talk the new show host one. Jimmy Kimmel. The Jimmy Kimmel AL Bowl will be played on December eighteenth. Huh. I want a bowl game. Who, who is after in me? Who, who do you think is who is in that? Does it say what conferences are in that game? The Mountain West champion that's against a, the Pac-12's number five bowl selection. <laughs> okay. All right. I feel like the, you know, there was a thing a while back where it was like the New Mexico Bowl needed a sponsor because like the last bowl sponsor they had ended up being like a fake company that they didn't vet. Um, yeah. I, the Painter Sharpless Bowl. Where are we playing the Painter Sharpless Bowl at? Nolens. Yes. You could just take Rename over the, the New Sugar Bowl. Bowl. No, no, I was about to the say Sugar Bowl. You want the Sugar Bowl? You're going to be able to take the I'm Sugar sure Bowl the, from the corporate was that sponsors. Allstate? I think that's all. Yeah, State's well, bowl. it used to be Nokia. Yeah, it was Nokia back when Auburn the was brick in the no Yeah, shout out to Nokia. How about that? Sammy Watkins slipping in. Speaking of wide receivers, ESPN just did a top fifty college football's fifty greatest wide receivers of the past fifty years. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Auburn doesn't have one. I would be very surprised if Auburn had one. Sammy is Sammy. I would guess is pretty high up there. Yeah, that was from Bill. Sammy C. Watkins is number fifty. Oh, okay. Just right. sneaking in there. Sammy was so good though, man. He's. Uh, I think that was from Bill AJ C. Because I think his number forty-four. His number one was uh, his number one was Randy Moss. I think. Which yes, that makes that makes too much. sense. You would be correct. That was Larry Fitz at number two, Devontae yep. Smith at number three. Mm-hmm. How about that Justin Blackman sliding in at four, and Des Dude, Howard was, at five? Yeah, Bill Conley. Really, I, I'm, yeah, I'm our, picking up what you're putting down there. Our boy Bill C. Yeah, for sure. I, Man, I mean, you talk about Auburn trying to build a new – I mean, their best – I don't want to sound – this is going to sound negative however I slice it, so – Bear with me here. It's like I don't have any wide receiver history. Terry Beasley your... is their best. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they didn't really pass the ball that long. Yards. So yeah. that's not good. I don't. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to sugarcoat that one. Auburn, you got to step it up at wide receiver, right. especially today. Like, you get away with it, I guess, in two thousand four, and to some extent, Gus got away with it for the first few years of his career as OC and head coach. But uh, I, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, I mean, it's like... Have to find some guys that can produce at wide receiver. If you're Auburn, if you're Auburn, it's like, don't... You don't want to constantly compare yourself to Alabama, right? And Alabama had the only wide receiver who's won the Heisman in however long. 
Um, so annoying. Yeah, they had that, and that was the position that. And rightfully I mean, so. I mean, the dude was an absolute right. baller. I'm not mad about. I'm not mad about the. I would actually quarrel with some of their other Heisman winners, but not that one. And then it's like LSU had like this stockpile of awesome wider first round receivers and they didn't necessarily always do anything with it, but yet they were still guys that people thought were first round material. And like Georgia, you know, looking at another rival, Georgia has not been a school that's necessarily lit up on offense, you know, the last 40, 50 years as much, you know, from the, from the, from a passing game perspective. And yet they had AJ green on that list. Like, you know, they took George Pickens from you and I'm, However, that happened, and, and whatever, whatever details went on there, I'm not. No, I'm not saying anything else about that. But, um, but well, like, you yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, like, everybody thought he was going to Auburn. Now he's going, and then he ends up at Georgia. All right. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, it's yeah, recruiting man. It's a wild game. Uh, but like, there, there's a number of those places where your rivals like even the ones that aren't necessarily like elite passing game factories put wide receivers on this list and like it's not saying that Auburn doesn't had good wide receivers in the in the last few years don't don't say that I mean Courtney Taylor was an incredible they've had competent wide receivers right like I think they've had competent wide receivers that that Obamano Aruma should do and and Courtney Taylor like that, that was a really good trio for what they needed to do in that offense in that time right no, they were not elite, elite, elite receivers in terms of first-round NFL draft picks. But like those were guys that got shots in the league, and and you, and know, you could were say really the same thing about Coates and and Ricardo mm-hmm. Lewis. Like they yep, were both, they way. both fit the system well. They both had some flaws in their game, but they were good college receivers who were what? athletic enough to make it to the next level. But look, but but think about it this way: Auburn at quarterback, they've had Cam Newton, they've had Jason Campbell, they've had you know they've had guys, I mean guys like Nick Marshall, who you know weren't traditional like top tier quarterbacks but like guys that were him and Damian Craig guys like that are like just awesome college quarterbacks you had those running backs I mean you've got one of the best if not the best to ever do it at running back that is at your school there's so many more guys at running back that you you are one of the RBUs as you, to borrow that expression like Offensive line, you can even point to offensive linemen, man. Like that, you've had Outland winners. You've had a, you had a, a Remington Award winner in Reese Dismukes. You've had first, you had the number two overall pick at tackle, and it did not work out for him in the NFL. But he was unreal in in college. All these positions at, over the years, and this is not a Gus Malzahn issue. This is, I mean, this is an Auburn. I mean, we're talking about even back in the day when they threw the ball a billion times. It's weird because, like, there's a position group. Every position group at Auburn on the offensive side of the ball, you can find first-round talents, elite talents, some of the best to ever do it in the SEC. And wide receiver, you got to go all the way back to Terry Beasley. And then it's like – Yeah, what about Frank like, Sanders? He's one of the – because he, did he play in that – did Auburn kind of have, a, have like, a, a little bit of an era where they were passing the ball a lot there in the 90s with, with Damian oh, Craig? Oh, yeah. And, the, um, that, uh, was, mean, uh, that was – I mean, so, like – not to bring it up two weeks in a, not to bring him up two weeks, in a, but that was Terry Bounds' mo. They were throwing the ball over the yard with him, and, and Frank Sanders. It's really, was like the, the only, rounder. yeah, it's really the only era I can think of, or at least that I can recall, where Auburn was not just a okay. predominantly run first team, even though they had you know the spread offense of Malzahn, if you will, who always he always emphasized the need to run the ball and play off play action. Yeah. So, 
Uh, yeah. Look, it's it's time Frank to Sanders. move forward. And okay, not to, not to cut you off, Painter, but like let's let's bring this up in the history of Auburn football. Okay, they have had really three. No, sorry, just two guys who have been first team All Americans by multiple outlets. Frank Sanders and, and Terry Beasley. So, yes, thank you for bringing up Frank Sanders because Frank Sanders was first-team All-American in 94, uh, became a second-round pick. Okay, Frank Sanders. So, so since Frank Sanders, we can we can do that. Since Frank Sanders, you know, where has Auburn had that guy, that elite, elite wide receiver? It's like they have not had, a, they have not had an All-American wide receiver since 1994. So only he is the only one in our lifetimes that has happened. And then you got to go to Terry Beasley if you want like a true all-time great Hall of Fame type of player, uh, college football-wise. And uh, you're playing a game at that point that did not resemble. Yeah, the the sport no. doesn't resemble what we're watching. I mean, even today, in what, even what in '94, even even in '94, it's very different. '94 is very different than 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 what it looks like now, for sure. It's just like when is this going to be the turn? Is this going to be, you know, can Auburn in this new staff is is this going to be a thing where they do it? Because I'm not going to sit here and say, you know. Brian Harson and Mike Bobo and Cornelius Williams have these long legacies at wide receiver. Yes, Mike Bobo was the offensive coordinator when A.J. Green was at Georgia. Okay, there, There's a little bit of that in there. When he was at Colorado State, he had three or four guys that ended up becoming NFL draft picks at wide receiver, which is a lot at Colorado State. Boise State, there was a little run there. They had a few under Brian Harson wide receivers that got drafted there. Um, Cornelius Williams – coached early in his career coach jj nelson at uab so at smaller schools with less resources and less recruiting talent to work with they got guys in the league what can they do with the with with the talent that is going to be at their disposal at auburn is, is what i want to is what i want to know and can can auburn be, find that can can they land a high four star or a five star or maybe even develop one you know uh i, I don't let me look up how how highly ranked was Devontae Smith coming out of high school. I think he was good, but I don't know if he was a five star. I thought he was a four star. Devontae Smith, Damian Craig, who led Auburn to the okay, SEC he was a high, he was a high, game. he was a high four star. I stand corrected. I think there was one of those wide receivers that Alabama had that wasn't just like all world recruit, but no, he was he was a five star according to some places. I'll look it up. Keep keep talking. Oh, I was just saying that Damian Craig in '97. You know, they play Tennessee in the SEC championship game and lose. But his passing number is 216 completions on 403 attempts for a whopping 53% completion rating. He did throw for 3,200-plus yards, but he had 18 touchdowns to 13 interceptions, and that was still good enough for them to get to the SEC title game. Yeah, I don't know who I was talking about with Alabama wide receiver. I'm, I'm looking for one right now, and I think everybody who was really good is like, oh, wow, they were awesome in high school too. Um, yeah, I, I just, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a gap here, and there's an there's a, there's a option for Auburn to start a new era at wide receiver. Um, is this staff the one that's going to get them there? I don't know, but like there's some there's some potential there, and they're inheriting some good talent. It's just going to be it's going to be a process. What have we said it since since Brian Harson was hired? This is not going to be an overnight thing. This is a this is a long haul type of type of build and type of hire, and I think that's the same thing you'll see out of the wide receiver group. Who was I thinking of a wide receiver? Oh, that's going to bug me. That's going to bug me. I'm going to keep clicking though. 
Alabama wide receivers. How highly ranked was Mechie? Probably also at least a four-star. Like, even Cam Sims was a top 100 player coming out of high school. I don't know who I was thinking of, man. I'm, I'm, wow, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Mechie was 275 nationally and a four-star in the composite. He's Jalen Waddle was only the number that, 39 he? player in the country. Yes. Yes, 100%. All righty. Well, well does that that's do going it? to do it. Yeah, it does it. We're here. We're, we're over an hour here. We appreciate you guys listening to this one, uh, checking us out, auburnobserver.com. Um, if you want to subscribe there, $6 a month or $60 a year, you get a premium podcast. You get twice as many podcasts. You get the one later in the week. We're going to shoot for probably Wednesday for that one this week. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll have, some more, we'll have some more to talk about as we get through what feels like the real offseason is starting to kind of set in. But, look. We are about a month, a little less than a month away from SEC Media Days. Uh, we are in the 80s, maybe even the 70s now, um, by the time you listen to this, of uh, days left to Auburn football season. So there's a lot to talk about. Basketball is not going to be slowing down anytime soon with the way they're recruiting. So we'll have a lot to discuss, and we'll have a, we'll have a lot of fun with it. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you uh, hanging with us as we, as we did another remote here. Uh, but we will be back, hopefully back in person and, uh, and, and giving you that, that, that great audio content uh, later in the week. Painter, do you have any final thoughts? 77 days until the Auburn-Akron game. Uncertainty is killing me And I'm certainly not asleep Maybe I've gone far too deep Maybe I'm just far too weak And that's the last place I want To be the last place And there is so much we don't know So we love and we hope that it